Welcome to the First Baptist Church Brunswick podcast. Join us as we desire to lead people into a deep and thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. Take your Bible this morning and turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And while you're finding your place in God's Word, let me take an opportunity to thank you for the incredible and open reception that you've given Debbie and I over our weeks together with you. And just want to thank uh, all of those on the staff, like uh, Robin, uh, Pastor Secretary, Administrator, our Administrator, um, Taylor, and uh, Britton, and Josh on the staff, and Colby and the technical team. Uh, they've been incredible. You have a wonderful staff. And, uh, and I just want to thank Pastor Chris for trusting me uh, with his pulpit uh, during this period of time as he's been going through treatments. And uh, he's planning to be back in the pulpit next Sunday. Amen? And we're looking forward to that. He is a great pastor. He's a great preacher. He's a great person. And you are a great church. You, you may not know that. You may have a lot of different th thoughts about your own church, but I've been a lot of places and been in a lot of churches. This is a hot one. Amen? God is really, really blessing you. And so we're coming back today to this series that we've been in, The Great Eight, Great Assurances from Romans 8. And we've been focusing uh, in this chapter on different verses that have the number eight in them. And we started with verse eight several weeks ago as we talked about how God is not pleased when we live according to the flesh. And we talked about the battle between the will of the Spirit of God and the will of the flesh. And then the second week, um, uh, providentially, uh, as things were happening in our nation, we talked in ver about verse 18 and this present time of suffering and trying to make sense of suffering and how God helps us through and God always has a plan. And then we came to that great verse last week, uh, verse 28, um, and we know that all things work together, uh, that God causes all things to work together for the good for, to those who love God, to those who he has called according to his purpose. Now, Full disclosure, I said I was going to come back this week to verses 29 and 30, but I'm not. Because that's a, those are really two very important verses, and it would take an entire sermon to do a good job on that. And I really wanted us to close out with this uh, passage that is such a crescendo uh, in the chapter, at the end of the chapter, chapter 8, beginning with verse 31, as we talk today about knocked down but never knocked out. Knocked down. Have you been knocked down before? But you're never knocked out in Jesus. Let's stand together as we read from God's Word this morning. And I'm reading from the New American Standard, which is also the one that is found in your chair if you don't have a copy of the Bible. But beginning in verse 31 of Romans chapter 8, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him? Freely give us all things. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised. And who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril, or sword. Just as it is written, for your sake, we're being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, 
we are overwhelmingly conquered through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I want you to be thinking about verses 38 and 39 as we move through this text and what God is speaking to you today. And thank you for standing. You can be seated and may God bless the reading of his word to our lives. Everybody has a comfort food. Do you have one? You know, when you're not feeling very well, you just need something to pick you up. You maybe you get some macaroni and cheese or, you know, you, uh, chicken noodle soup or something like that. We all have a comfort food. But do you have a comfort movie? I mean, a movie that you like to just pop in and watch and just uh, when you're feeling down and just need a little inspiration. Well, I'll tell you what my comfort movie is. It's Rocky. Any Rocky fans here today? I mean, I just love Rocky. And especially those first two movies in the uh, eternal series about Rocky. But uh, the first one is about a not-so-bright man off the streets, a second-rate fighter named Rocky Balboa, who is signed to fight the heavyweight champion of the world. His name is what? Apollo Creed, and in a show of guts and stamina, Rocky went the distance of 15 rounds, though he lost the decision to Apollo. Well, the second movie you know is going to be a rematch, and this time Apollo Creed is much more serious. He wanted to discredit Rocky as a a lucky bum who uh, just in a lucky way wins the first fight, and so he comes out and he's really punching away at Rocky and... uh, Rocky is such a great boxer, he leads with his head, if you've ever seen that. But uh, he's knocked to the canvas three times in the first couple of rounds and nearly knocked out. But each time, somehow he gets to his feet and Creed becomes dismayed. And, and then Rocky uh, goes into his corner and Mickey, you know, his, his, his manager, is there in the corner. And he turns to, to Mick and he says, I ain't going down no more. <laughs> And he goes to the 15 rounds, and this time, he wins the fight against Apollo Creed. Well, that's, that's fiction, we know. We, we enjoy that. But uh, the fact is, we celebrate in the Christian faith that though Jesus Christ went down to the grave, he rose up never to die again. And that's not just the story of Christ in history, but that is the sto- that's our story in the faith of Christ that uh, though we have times when we're knocked down because of the victory that Christ won uh, through the cross and the grave, that we can have that same victory in our lives. And as long as we live, no matter what happens to us, we may get knocked down, but we're never knocked out. And that's good news. It was good news to the, the first century church that was going through incredible persecution and it's still good news to the the 21st century church amen and uh, and what we're entering uh, into a time I think maybe of last day and growing persecution so how will we stand in the same promises that Paul shared to the first century church in Romans 8 Paul says that we may be knocked down but we're never knocked out number one because we have an ultimate power We have an ultimate power. In verse 31, Paul begins with a question. 
What then shall we say to these things? And what are these things? Uh, It's what we talked about a couple of weeks ago in in verse 18. uh, This present time of suffering. There's no pain like the present. There's no problem like whatever we're going through right now. And what is to be our response? Paul answers, if God is for us, who is against us? Defeat comes when the enemy demonstrates superior power. The first century Christians were facing persecution. Be reminded of what they were facing. The, the most po- one of the most powerful armies that ever lived upon the face of the earth, the Roman Empire. And from all outward appearances, the enemy was superior. But Paul challenges the people to think about the power of Almighty God. Let me ask you a question. Isn't it easier for you to accomplish a difficult task when you've got somebody in your corner encouraging you? I think back on my life, uh, and my life of 42 years of marriage and, and, and 42 years plus in the ministry, and I think about my wife and the fact that she's always been for me in my corner and I could not do the things that I do I could not be the person that I am were it not for my wife being there in my corner and uh, I want you to understand that you've got somebody in your corner always as a believer in Jesus Christ you have God in your corner and we believe and begin with a premise that God is for us And what a difference that makes in all of our lives. You know, some of us have yet to believe that about God. Uh, We have become hesitant uh, to admit that God favors his people and that God fights for his chosen. Sometimes we envision a God who has better uses for his power than the to give attention to the things that we're going through in our lives, whether it's a a marriage difficulty or or a moral problem or some kind of financial uncertainty or a critical health crisis or maybe even persecution for your faith. And sometimes we, we get the idea that maybe God is not as in our corner as we've been taught and we don't look to the Lord the way we should or we don't believe that looking to Him will make a difference. How do we know that he can? We know because of what we sung about earlier, the resurrection. In Philippians 3.10, Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Read that with me off the screen. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. If God can raise a man from the dead, God can do anything. And all throughout the Bible, we see that God's got the power, and we need that power. You know, I need that power in my life. When I'm knocked down, I need that God who called the world into being. I need that God who separated the man from the animal, and the land from the sea, and the day from the night. You know, I need that God that parted the Red Sea, and made the sun stand still, and stood up an army in a valley of dry bones, and who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the God I need, that's the God you need, and that's the God that we have. How do we know that? Because of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul said the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to them that believe. And when we by faith 
accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. That's when the power of God begins to rise up in our lives by the Holy Spirit. In the same book of Romans, as Paul is closing out, in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, Paul says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, somebody in here today needs that verse. You need to underline it. You need to meditate on that verse this particular week because some of us have lost hope. We've lost joy. We've lost peace in our lives. We've lost the power because we've stopped trusting in him. But here, Paul, again, if God is for you, who can be against you? And let the power of the resurrection, the power of God's Holy Spirit, raise you up again. We have an ultimate power. But secondly, we're never knocked out because we have an unlimited supply. An unlimited supply. In Romans 8.32, Paul asks the second question, Will he not also with him freely give us all things? Defeat is certain when the supply line is cut. You know, we live in a town where there's a large Air Force base, and primarily it is a logistics base, although there are active units there as well. And logistics is all about how to keep things moving to where you need it the most uh, in the uh, fight for freedom around the world. If the supply line is cut off, uh, we, we get in some big trouble. Well, here's the good news. Paul's argument is this, that God's supply, his resource for our lives, is never cut off, and it's unlimited. How can we be sure that God will supply us all things? Because of what Paul says in verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. God gave up that which was most precious to him, his only son, that we might have abundant and eternal life. And therefore, Paul asserts, if he's already given up everything, then what is it that he would withhold? I was thinking about this. How many of you have ever had a baby or been a baby? Let me see your hand. (laughs) You know, babies have needs, don't they? A lot of needs. Milk, baby food, baby formula, that's been in the news a lot. Bottles, blankets, diapers, clothes every couple of months as they grow. And have you ever heard of a person taking their baby back to the hospital and saying, here, take this baby back. It has too many needs. No. You wouldn't do that. Why? Because your baby is precious to you and you would do anything and give anything to supply its needs. I want you to understand that we're all in Christ children of God and that's the way he feels about us. In Christ we are his precious children and he will graciously give us all things. You know there's a verse in the Bible that says this Philippians 4:19 and my God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Now, how can we be sure that God will do this? Well, suppose you take your baby 
and you feed and clothe your baby and you raise it up like some of these fine young people that are here on the front row. Aren't you glad they sit up front like this? What a blessing it is to preach in a church where all the young people are sitting up front like this. But suppose you take uh, your children and, and you raise them up to maturity. How many of you would be willing to take that child, your son or your daughter, and give them over to be beaten and scourged and nailed through the hands and feet to a cross of wood until dead. We forget that that's what God did for us in his precious only begotten son, Jesus Christ. That's why it's the greatest story ever told, amen? And we forget sometimes, you know, we, we see these uh, statues and images and stained glass of Jesus and, and it just seems so distant to us. I remember in our town uh, not long ago, I, I was driving down one of the main uh, streets in our town going from east to west and, and there was a man walking down the road and he was dressed like Jesus, he had a long beard and he was carrying a cross. You ever see anything like that? And I thought, that's, that's impressive. I mean, he looks like Jesus and he's carrying a cross. And then I looked and down at the bottom of the cross, there were two little wheels. And he was pulling it along. It was sort of <clears throat> reducing the drag and, and the friction on the cross. And, and I got to thinking about that. And I was thinking that when Christ carried the cross for us, he carried the full weight of it. He carried that cross for us. He bore that. And the cross was ugly. It was brutal. It was bloody. And there's a word that comes out of that that we bring over into our language. It's excruciating. The word that comes to us from crucify as in the cross. God did not spare Jesus Christ anything. He gave him up for us all. And that God promises to supply all of our needs from his glorious riches. In fact, since Jesus died and rose and then ascended to heaven, verse 34 says he also intercedes for us. And over in Hebrews, uh, the writer elaborates, Hebrews 7.25, therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Christ intercedes for us. He lives to intercede for us. The supply line to God the Father can never ever be cut off because Jesus Christ himself is managing that supply line. And when God starts in your life, he intends to finish what he starts. And Jesus is there to make sure that you have what you need when you need it to make that happen. And you just have to look at it from God's point of view. You know, one person was talking about someone who was down on their luck and, and living on the street and they passed away. And, and they said about that man, he, he died penniless. That's bad. But another guy said, no, that's just good timing. Well, our God has good timing. He is an on-time God and he promises to supply our every need until he calls us home. And so we have an ultimate power and we have an unending supply. But thirdly, 
we may be knocked down, but we're never knocked out because we have an unending forgiveness. In Romans 8.33, Paul asks a third question in two parts. He says, who will bring a charge against God's elect? And then he says, who is the one that condemns? Many of us have been knocked down for the count because we're letting someone hold a charge against us that God has already forgiven. And the word for charge there, it's a legal term, uh, a, a charge made in a court of law. But Paul says, God is the one who justifies. When God justifies you in Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And Paul says in Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins. But many of us, we let other people try to justify our existence. We let people hold charges over us that God has already dismissed. But because of the blood of Jesus Christ, those charges will no longer stick. You can't let other people determine that you are less than what God says you are worth. And God says what you're worth when he gave up his own son on the cross for you and for me. And so get up, amen? Get up. Paul asks, who is the one who condemns? It could be anyone that, that holds a sin against us. It could be you that's holding a sin against yourself, condemning yourself. You may be condemning yourself because of some sin in your past. Well, Jesus Christ died, didn't he? But he didn't stay dead, he rose from the dead, and he rose to life, and he's interceding for you. And if there is a known sin in your life, stop condemning yourself. Let God forgive you through Jesus Christ. Amen? And the Bible says this, one of my favorite verses in the Bible from the King James Version. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a great promise. But some of us won't accept it. We say, well, I can't forgive myself. Now, a couple of weeks ago I brought this up and I want to bring it up again. The reason that you can't forgive yourself is because you can't. Now, I know I'm making some counselors nervous right here. Because, you know, we talk about, well, you need to forgive yourself. And I, you keep on doing that, but I want to give you a different point of view on that. If you try to forgive yourself, it's just going to keep cropping up. Like that game, whack-a-mole. You know what that is? And it just keeps coming again. We keep thinking of it again. Listen, you've got to accept God's forgiveness and if it's offered, the forgiveness of others. But as I said a couple of weeks ago, sometimes it may not ever be offered, but you can know that God has offered it through Jesus Christ, his son. And if we could forgive ourselves, Jesus would never have been needed if forgiving yourself has become more important to you than God's forgiveness of you, you have lost sight of the cross of Jesus Christ and you need to come back to the cross and you need to find God's forgiveness. And this is where Satan 
gets us. This is where Satan attacks us. He tries to use a phantom guilt against us. God has already forgiven us, but Satan is condemning us. And we let Satan do what our own judicial system is not allowed to do. And that's called double jeopardy. And that's not the second round in a game show on television. It's a law. It's a law that when a defendant is pronounced not guilty in a court of law and is, or is pardoned, that they cannot be held accountable for that same crime again. Don't let Satan do that to you. It's against God's law. And in Christ, we have an unending forgiveness. We are not to live under guilt, but we are to live according to God's grace. So in Christ, we have an ultimate power. We have an unlimited supply. We have an unending forgiveness. But finally, we have an unsevered love in Romans 8, 35, Paul asks a final question. He asks a lot of questions that we ask. And he asks this powerful question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And in verses 35 through 39, Paul uses the word separate twice. And right in the middle of all of that, he uses the word sword. And the picture I get is of Christians who are allow, allowing some, some sword uh, of their circumstances to separate them from the love of God in Christ. But Paul says, despite whatever you may think or feel at any given moment, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. You see, love is the essence of who God is and, and the motivation of his very character. And 1 John 4, 8 simply says, God is what? Love. But the verse that captures the most sweeping view of God's love is one that we all know. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Amen? And it is uh, this love that moved God to send his son to die that we might not perish but have unending forgiveness and an unlimited supply and an ultimate power. And Paul reminds us that this love cannot be severed. Now please note that God does not promise that we won't have trouble or tribulation, as it says in NAS, or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril, or even sword. In fact, verse 36 reminds us, a quote from the Old Testament, that many through the centuries have given their lives for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've even been slaughtered. You know, Paul, who wrote this, you remember what happened to him? What happened to him? His head was severed. He was beheaded for the cause of Christ. But no matter what happened to Paul, he was never separated from the love of God in Jesus Christ. We have but to read the headlines today in the world to see that, that Christians all around the world are being persecuted today. Two weeks ago, I talked about suffering. Remember that? And something that I, I didn't make clear, but I want to say today is this, that sometimes God allows us as believers to suffer so that unbelievers may embrace the truth of our gospel. When they see our response to suffering, it's a witness 
to a lost and dying world. And we don't have time to look at the individual meanings of the different pairs and spares that we find in verses 37 through 39. Death nor life, angels nor principalities, present nor future, powers, height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation. Paul is simply reminding us that there is nothing in the heavens and there is nothing on the earth that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So in closing, let me make three statements about the promises and assurances that we have in these verses. Number one, these assurances are not meant to make unbelievers more comfortable, but believers more than conquerors. Now I mentioned this last week and I want to mention it again. This promise is not for unbelievers because, you know, I think these are highly motivational words, are they not? They're inspiring words, and sometimes we can say, well, this applies to everyone, and to some extent they do, but the bottom line is the the full impact of them cannot happen unless we are in Christ. These promises are meant for people who are believers in Jesus Christ. And so if you're not a believer today and you're watching or you're in the audience today, we want to, as Brother Chris so eloquently invited you at the beginning of the service, we want you to come to faith in Jesus Christ. We don't want you to, to go out today and, and, and run the risk of hearing the good part and the promise, but not giving yourself to the author of that promise, which is Jesus Christ. Uh, we don't want you to go out today feeling comfortable on the way to destruction and feeling safe, loving sin. There are a lot of hellish things waiting for us outside these doors today, you need Christ. Amen? Who gives an amen? You need Jesus Christ. And I pray that God will draw you into the fellowship today, even in this hour. These promises are for believers, for Christians, so that you can know that you are more than a conqueror through him who loved us. We may experience separations of many kinds in our lives. We may experience uh, disease or distress or divorce or death or the devil himself. But though these things hurt, they do not halt our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Secondly, these assurances are meant to give an unshakable security in the midst of unavoidable suffering. Suffering is unavoidable in this life. And we're going to suffer. And it seems like some have more than their fair share. Amen? And I could just tick off the numbers of people that I know that are going through some real hardships in their lives today. But think back over the questions and the answers that Paul has given us in this text today. He said, if God be for us, who is against us? And the answer is, no one. He says, will he not also freely give us all things? And the answer is no, he will give us all things that we need when we need them. He asks, who can bring any charge against us? And the answer is no one, not even ourselves. And he asks, who can separate us from the love of God in Christ? And the answer is what? No one. Though we're knocked down, we're never knocked out. But here's the last statement that I have for you today, and it's this. The key to all of these assurances is to be in Christ. And we've given you several scriptures today to think about on the screen and and in the main text. And things like 
I want to know him, Paul says. Do you know him? Paul says, as I trust in him, have you trusted in him? Our text begins in verse 1 of chapter 8 with in Christ. And the very last verse of chapter 8 says, in Christ Jesus our Lord. You must be in Christ. And one of the great verses in the Bible along those lines is 1 Corinthians 15, 17, and 19, where Paul says, therefore, if anyone is, what? In Christ. He is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And so you've got to be in Christ. And that's our invitation today. You know, uh, toward the end of Rocky II, Rocky has decided to stop fighting His wife didn't want him fighting anymore. He'd been hurt in the previous fight, and and there was a lot of tension over that. And then uh, she was pregnant with their first child. And remember the story? How many of you remember this? Uh, She's very pregnant with a baby, and she gets in an argument with someone and goes into labor. And by the time she gets to the hospital, the baby is delivered safely, but she has gone into a coma. And so Rocky is supposed to be training for a fight with Apollo Creed, but he sets everything aside and he goes to a chapel and he's praying and he reads her uh, books and, and he's there with her. And then one day she wakes up from the coma and they see the baby together. Never has a baby had more hair than that baby. I mean, really, <laughs> if you watch that movie, it's just incredible, you know, like uh, the Beatles born right there, you know. But Rocky goes up to his wife and says, Adrian, you don't want me mixing with Creed. I won't do it. And she says, come here. And she says, come a little closer. And he gets real close. And she says one word, when. When. What happened? The manager, Mickey, goes, what are we waiting for? <laughs> and they go out and they start to train like they mean it. And Rocky gets him a t-shirt that says, win, Rocky, win. And in the end, he wins. <laughs> I love that movie. I guess you can tell. <laughs> and I believe that that's the word we want to end up with today. Win. You know, Jesus Christ has won the victory for us on the cross. And no matter what's happened to you, there's a victory for you. You may be knocked down right now, but in Christ, you're never knocked out. And in the end, we all win, amen? Because even though we may lay down our lives in death, and we all will at some point, through Christ, we'll live again and we'll live forever. And so, if you're not a believer in Christ, our invitation for you today is trusting. You know, everybody here who's a believer at some point in their lives have had to make the decision to invite Jesus Christ into their heart and life. You know, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone opens the door, I will come in and I will fellowship with him or her. And maybe God is knocking at the door of your heart today. Maybe you've been putting off this decision for a long, long time, and the Bible says today is the day of salvation. If you're not a believer in Christ, we want you to join 
in with God's family and trust Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Turn from your sins and turn to the Savior and be saved today. And if you are already a believer, don't let anything keep you down because nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that in the world and every day in life, there are a lot of things that can knock us back and knock us down. And sometimes we just figure we'll stay down. But Lord, you don't mean for that to happen. No matter what we're facing in our lives, we can get up again. And Father, I just pray that you'll touch our hearts today and and help us to know that that we have a, a great, great Savior and a great, great power to live as Christ. And Father, we just pray today that we could know that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And, and if we've been down and we've been down in our hearts and down in our minds and down in our souls, that Lord, we could stand today victorious once again in Christ. And I do pray, Father, just like we had some to come last week and trust Jesus as Lord and Savior, that some will come this week. And Lord, they will enter into the kingdom and they'll begin a brand new journey called In Christ. And we pray it in Christ's name, amen.